0: Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life. I'm Jason Edwards.
1: I'm Kelsey Goldman.
0: And with us on this episode, part five of our Harry Potter limited event series, maxi series, continuing ongoing series of Harry Potter content. With us on this episode, close friend of the podcast, David Holwald, everybody. Hi, everyone. Hey, David. Hi. Hi. Good to have (laughs) you on the podcast, David. Good to be here. Excited to talk
2: book five. (laughs) First time, first time, long time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, here to talk about book five, the um, one of the well, one of the many uh, least liked books in the series. Everyone's got their own, I guess. I would say, what would you say this one falls as one of the most commonly hated books?
2: I think so. I would argue, I would argue, the most hated book, especially for people of a certain age, <laughs> people who who were reading the series through book four.
1: People who had to wait for it.
2: People who waited for this book hated this book.
1: And I think that's why. It's so commonly hated cuz it's like kind of a letdown.
2: Very much so and very much so if you're of a specific age. I don't I don't know any adults who are reading the series at the time mm-hmm. besides I guess my parents, my mother at least. But I think like the reaction of our peer cohort cuz I'm turning 30 in a couple of weeks and I was very much a teen when I was reading these books. Sorry,
1: 2003 this case.
2: 2003. Summer? 2003. Yeah, we were we were bombing Iraq and and talking about Harry Potter and the and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, Tony Tony Blair was in full effect in the UK. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what was topping the charts.
0: U two was tearing up the charts with. Um, what did they have an album that year? I don't think they did.
2: They might not have, but Vertigo just feels
0: like appropriate for right. the era. <laughs> Right, that entire like post nine eleven era feels very much like U two dominated with the Walk On. And then How uh, to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. No, Walk On is not the name of the album, is it? No. It's all you can leave behind? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk Harry Potter to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say, I, I at this point in the series, the books had totally checked out. As a teen, I was off the train, off the Hogwarts Express, you might say. And I, reading this book now for the first time, I love it. I think it's great. It's a huge step up from book four. And it was honestly a relief because I was starting to worry I wasn't going to like any book as much as I liked book two. And that was going to be a real problem for me <laughs> in these last three very, very long books. They are, they are
2: all long. Goblet of Fire starts the phenomenon that doesn't stop until the very end. And it's nice to bookend this because my wife was on for book two. And that's yeah. like a personal fave of hers. And book five, as I've gotten further away from it and thought about it more, is a personal favorite of mine
1: I think you know this whole series that we've been doing has been really interesting for me because I reread the books you know probably once or twice once or every two or three years like just for fun because I like them but this is the first time I've really like looked at them in through a critical lens and I, I always knew that I didn't like four. I've never really liked four, but I didn't realize how much, how much I disliked four until we just reread it and like the legitimate reasons why I did. And it also makes re- rereading this one, which I think, I definitely had some of the sort of like letdown feelings um, about. Um, I don't think I ever like hated it vehemently, but um, I don't think I, it I don't think it was what anyone expected it to be
2: no completely out of nowhere and i yeah. think especially because book four is so it's jk rowling trying to do her empire strikes back moment and then you wait for it and you wait for it and you wait for it and you and you go into book five and you go wow it really took a long time to get to hogwarts wow <laughs> there's like a lot of stuff in here about school politics that i don't know that i even really care about as a teen
1: it's so weird, but now, like, reading this, like, that's the stuff that, like, is so interesting to me. The, like, the, the school politics, the, the magical world politics, the, you know, general, like, state of affairs in the wizarding world as, you know, a fascist rises to power, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, in our current day and age is even more interesting, possibly. Um, but, yeah, no, because the stuff that, like, I think I would have found, like, extraneous as a 14-year-old. Um, I think I, like, very much enjoyed here.
0: We should talk about those expectations for one moment uh, that you mentioned, David, because I believe it is this is a situation where there is no way the expectations of the many people who had read book four and developed these, you know, intense, like, elaborate headcanons over the course of the long three-year summer. Uh, those expectations were never going to be met because there were just too many of them people had taken at this point through fandom and we discussed earlier in this, in this series, how fandom and sort of like, you know, the intersection of, you know, expanded access to the internet sort of coincided with these books and created a whole like new kind of fandom in a way. Uh, people had really taken control and ownership of the story in a way that was like sort of new for, or at least was new in, in being such a big thing online yeah. anyway, and had projected forward like years and years into the series, like, what is that? You so I think we mentioned in an episode earlier after the end. Yeah. was one of the big uh, mm-hmm. fan fictions, which is, you know, it's a it takes place again at the very end, begins at the very end of the uh, the seventh year. Yeah, and then goes forward like years and years. Yeah, and that was all. It, the, the, as, as I understand it, the fandom was full of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when when book five came out, like you know that it sort of uh, for reasons we'll get into specific reasons later. Uh, shattered a lot of those fan uh, fan theories, headcanons, what what have you. Um, And also just by being another chapter in the story is, like, by its own nature going to disrupt a lot of things that people have grown very attached to over the course of, like, developing it as a community of, like, you know, like-minded teens.
1: And I think, you know, fandom, that's so normal for fandom now to be, like, to have ownership like that, to project, to create you know your head cannons, your metas your whatever and to have it all be shattered by whatever the canon is like you just that just happens now and we're used to it whereas like this was such a new thing then that like everyone was just like totally didn't really know what to do with it and then also i think i mean even just like the idea of what is the order of the phoenix like i remember that being like a, a huge like thing people talked about
0: oh because book four as we discussed ends with a big moment of like Dumbledore be like, you go off and do that, and you go off and do this. And yeah. he mentions the Order of the Phoenix in that thing, right? Mm-hmm. So there's like, that's a whole, that sounds like a wild thing. wonder what that could be. Just hmm, a bunch well, of people. <laughs> I'm, I'm 14. Yeah, it's, it's, it's be just it's a bunch a bu- of people. It's a bunch
2: of people sharing an apartment in London, it turns out. <laughs> it's very much, you know, you know, friends. And you know how you're a, a teen who likes reading in the early 2000s, so you're just getting to British TV, mm-hmm. which is true of millions of people. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's going to be like that, but it's not going to be like the stuff you like. It's going to be more like EastEnders. <laughs> we you're just going to live in a dingy apartment in London and it's and it's again impossible impossible to satisfy expectations because this was so formative and you put so much into it and you you have decided all these things about all these characters. And then here comes Almost 900 pages of how wrong you are <laughs> on every single page, chapter to chapter. What did you think this character was getting up to? You were wrong. Turns out,
1: um, Dave, what was your like fandom experience? What uh, what were you like a casual fan? Were you like your wife Tara, who was like dressing up and stuff? What was your what was your fan experience as a as a teen?
2: i was a huge fan of the books but perhaps i was i was definitely a more self-aware fan even though i was a huge nerd and remain a huge nerd but this was at a time i don't know that i had like the peer cohort or the or the friend group or the encouragement to even get into fandom in quite the same way Mm -hmm. but i read the books i started reading the books starting with uh uh, Azkaban was out at the time, but I started with the first two books, and they were literally the first books my family ever bought on Amazon.com. Oh, wow! Before, before it would go on to dominate our lives, uh, and it was just a site for buying books. My parents were deeply skeptical dad. of the internet, but we got a a gift card, I want to say, for some some holiday, and we bought those books on the internet because we had reached the point where. They were they were hugely popular, and my brother and I were going to read them. And my brother bought those books on Amazon with his Amazon gift card. Mm-hmm. I bought Holes by Louis Sahar, also which a good, uh, a good book, you know, featuring featuring uh, Dulé Hill among others, but not <laughs> but not uh, not quite the phenomenon that this turned out to be. <laughs> and we both devoured them. And then book three was out, so we devoured book three. And then did the same thing that i think everybody else did which was pre-order book four and waited and got that at midnight i don't think it ever took me more than a full day to read a harry potter book and so i read every harry potter book that i got the day i got it like not falling asleep start to finish that's how (laughs) engrossed i was with them and then i would reread them over and over again yeah um gotta be at least 50 times uh when i was when i was you know like middle school high school
1: I mean, I think about how many times I reread like one through four, oh. in the hiatus, because like I I read them after the first movie came out, so four was already out, I think. Um, but then then I like learned that I was gonna, or four had just come out, maybe, uh, I was gonna have to wait a long time for the next one. Like the amount of times I reread those first four books during that hiatus was so many.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> the spine, the spine <laughs> of my original copy of Goblet of Fire is destroyed. Same. It's. it is functionally you would need to go to a book rebinder because it's not it's not a functional book anymore but beyond that i had no fandom engagement i i was a purist as far as the books were concerned i read the books that tracks and i read them over and over and over again (laughs) but i did not do anything with that you tried
1: not to formulate theories or
2: i don't know it wasn't so much that i didn't formulate theories but i didn't share them with anyone and i don't know that i had any any significant theories going into book five beyond uh, you know the the child's rudimentary understanding of plot structure from watching a bunch of scooby-doo and really really figuring out what plots are and how and how people you know embed things in stories and try to build something over time but there was there was nothing (laughs) there was nothing my my love of the books was unadulterated and pure (laughs) and probably influenced by the latent anglophilia of my home but otherwise not um i i just read the books over and over again and i watched the movies but the movies weren't huge for me they i didn't love them or hate them um yeah no no dress up no conventions no fan fiction I don't know that I even, like, knew fan fiction was a real thing surrounding the books to any great degree, which makes me very much the opposite of my wife. Yes. Um, <laughs> I
0: was going to say this is a much more um, by-the-book, literally, take on the series than we've gotten so far. Yeah.
1: It,
2: it It is very much by-the-book, but I but I will say that...
1: I will say that this is a generally male experience of... These books, I feel yes. like fan fiction is, is very heavily female mm-hmm. and, and online fandom in general. Yeah. are, are skew is heavily female. Yeah.
2: So. Charles Murray could also probably like write something about this in the like lonely <laughs> American male experience <laughs> as, a, as a proto early 2000s thing. <laughs> but in reality, it was just that I, I was and remain somebody who enjoys like solitary reading time. And these were perfectly designed to capture my interest at a very specific time and capture them they
0: did. So we are going to we have previously tried a few different ways to recap the books. They've all been varying levels of successful, I'm <laughs> going to say. This time David has written for us, I believe, you you've written a summary of every chapter. A yeah, very very brief summary. Just about every chapter, very briefly. Rounding out at about 10 words per per chapter, is 10, that right?
2: 10 plus or minus, but never more than tw- never more than maybe 15.
0: And how many chapters are there in this book? 10? There are
2: 38 chapters in this book that is almost 900 pages long
0: okay we're gonna try this dave i'm gonna ask if you would be so kind take us through just chapter by chapter uh we'll we'll you know we'll see if we need to stop on anything yeah. but i'm just gonna see you know we are gonna take us through and we're gonna see how it feels to just run through it real quick
2: sure chapter one Dudley demented Harry (laughs) spends all day watching cable news, then uses his concealed carry. (laughs) Chapter two, a peck of owls. Ministry or order, everybody sliding into Harry's DMs. (laughs) Chapter three, the advance guard. Harry meets some cool burglar qua kidnapper friends. (laughs) Chapters four and five, Harry joins the hashtag resistance and finds out he's the real fake news. (laughs) uh chapter six this is the noble and most ancient house of black we're in london at this point serious black has a seriously messed up house (laughs) chapter seven the ministry of magic why would you fund healthcare this way
0: let's let's take a pause on this because this this needs to be uh, i think discussed briefly that 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 is a reference to the fact that um it is revealed to harry in this chapter that in the ministry of magic there is a statue a sort of very problematic statue uh (laughs) That has a fountain around it. Mm -hmm. And we find out that the, the, what appears to be the sole source of, like, incoming, like, money into St. Mungo's uh, Hospital. Of Magical Maladies. Of Magical Maladies. What appears to be the one magical hospital in London. Or all all of England. Or possibly the world. (laughs) Strongly suggested that it's at very least for all of the the United United Kingdom. Yes. Uh, It's all funded by coins that have been thrown into this fountain
1: is magical health
2: how expensive is anything in the wizarding world it's something that i have pondered a long time and we can certainly get back to but okay, the price well, mechanisms of the wizarding world are something that
0: have fascinated me for more than a decade we'll put a pin in that because i think if we start that now we won't get through the rest of these channels <laughs> i'm dying to hear the rest of these summaries david please continue sure chapter eight the hearing
2: first and basically last appearance of the wizengamot <laughs> chapter nine the woes of mrs weasley percy's a jerk and ron's a cop chapter 10 luna lovegood there's a new infowars uh loving ravenclaw and she owns (laughs) chapter 11 the sorting hat's new song the sorting hat makes a case for radical centrism (laughs) chapter 12 professor umbridge what kind of curriculum is jk rowling even trying to satirize here
1: (laughs) that's a good question
2: chapter 13 detention with dolores in which Harry goes to the most metal detention ever. <laughs> Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot. Percy and Draco remain the worst. Chapter 15, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, which I apparently responded to with, Why would you even call yourself that? <laughs> Chapter 16, in the Hogshead, Harry decides to form a militia to get chicks. <laughs> chapter 17 this is and this is an emerging theme that i found in reading through this is i thought the political valence of this book even when choosing it would be interesting and then as i reread it in the modern era i was like oh this is even more than i thought i i was i there are so many things in here that i did not remember that if you map even to like the past 18 months you go jk rowling wasn't predicting this but she definitely was like a a tabula rasa for the for the the sort of zeitgeist that was forming <laughs> and she maybe didn't and doesn't understand it but it definitely still comes out in her work which is fascinating <laughs> chapter 17 educational decree number 24 more hogwarts shit <laughs> <laughs> chapter 18 dumbledore's army of knitting and political inaction <laughs> Chapter 19, The Lion and the Serpent, to which I responded, best part of Quidditch, the sick fan gear. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 20, Hagrid's Tale, They Might Be Giants. Mm. Chapter 21 is The Eye of the Snake, in which I say, Harry has trouble empathizing with a girl, but gets too close to a snake. (laughs) Chapter 22... (laughs) Which is true. That's what happens. St. <laughs> Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. So they do both. Um, <laughs> chapter 22 is, so they do have health care. And then. Oh,
1: the saddest chapter.
2: And then chapter 23, which is Christmas on the closed Word, oh, which I literally <laughs> just wrote, the saddest Harry Potter chapter ever written, oh. which it is.
0: Un- unquestionably. unquestionably unquestionably i have finished the series but no- nothing will ever make me as sad as that it's that chapter. not going to come close no the, i'm I'm looking at a
2: leftovers poster right now and i can strongly say that like chapter 23 of of harry potter and the order of the phoenix is like a rough season one episode of the leftovers. Oh, if you if you shot that with the hbo you know Money and directing crew, it would be a really, really rough oh. hour of prestige television. In my dreams. Yeah.
3: I mean, that's, <laughs>
2: that's where they could go instead of Fantastic Beasts, is you could really just capture these scenes.
1: I'd love, like, a Ugh. random scene, like, deleted scene Harry Potter anthology series.
2: It's just Neville visiting his parents every oh. year and <sighs> nothing changing. And then you have, like, the year after they beat Vault. Sorry, no spoilers. That's not, that's not in the book. Wait, what? What? Not in the book. What? But, but let's say the year after after book seven, and he just goes back there,
0: and nothing's different. Uh, I would watch it. Oh, it's I would, brutal. I would, I would so watch it I would, watch it. I
1: would watch it. I would watch
0: it. Yeah. I should I should point out that the adding to the sadness of that chapter to me is the depiction of, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart, personal personal favorite character, <laughs> as a man suffering from the. Uh final stages of Alzheimer's it would seem it's pretty rough who is who has just lost all sense of himself and remains just this empty shell of his the former affable somewhat evil, but <laughs> you know ultimately like he's 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 completely destroyed as a person in a way that is like we did not need to see this up close in this much detail but we did, but
2: we did, but we did it's it's really interesting to see. Because very few characters that get punished by J.K. Rowling like that ever come back and you see the effects of it. He's a rare example, actually. Mm -hmm. And he's just signing headshots for nobody. He's, you know, he's still making friends, quote unquote, but not really making friends. It's deeply sad and is part of my fascination with memory magic more generally within the wizarding world, which, again, we can put a pin in. But okay. Unforgivable curses, being what they are. <laughs> um, chapter twenty-four, Occlumency. Is wizard mind reading important or not? <laughs> and a I question. And no spoilers, but I'm not sure that I ever find out. Um, <laughs> then chapter twenty-five, which is the beetle at bay, and is called, and I call it a date worse than an Azkaban breakout. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> chapter 26 seen and unforeseen harry goes viral <laughs> chapter 27 which is the centaur and the sneak and which i write hermione really fucks marietta up dumbledore out
0: <laughs> she really does <laughs> she destroyed that girl's face she <laughs> She in a way that is like I don't know is it resolved by the end of the book?
1: No, they say at the beginning they, of the sixth book she still has scars.
0: Oh my God! Yeah, she, she's wearing
1: like a scarf over her face. She's
0: straight
2: up, she and this is that
1: girl up. And
2: this is what I one of the sort of Hermione character beats that I kind of love, and I wish if anything they would do more of is Hermione when she's really like vindictive and clever, and not bound They're by the very the very <laughs> minimal bounds of Gryffindor morality is really like a super interesting character because she's like cross me and i will destroy you and there's actually nothing you can do about it because i'm the best witch or wizard in this school possibly of of at least
0: of my age cohort
2: so don't cross me
1: yeah i wish there was more of that with her mining. it's
0: not even just students like adults like what what she does to rita skeeter oh yeah I like, mean, she, she, she imp-
2: traps
1: her in a jar
0: she imprisons her she like, imprisons I mean, an adult woman
2: in a jar. I mean,
1: spoilers for later in the book, but she literally leads Umbridge to get trampled by centaurs. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and and I think this book has some of those sneaky Hermione character moments mm-hmm. that, again, they they're not as few, they're not super few and far between, but they 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 make you realize that this is a character that her being good at magic is not because it, it has been treated up to this point in a lot of ways, like this plot device where they need to solve a puzzle or they need to get somewhere that they don't know how to get. and then Hermione figures it out. Or alternatively, they didn't do their homework and Hermione does their homework, mm-hmm. which still happens in this book.
1: Yeah. I also think that like it sort of shows that Hermione's not like perfect, mm-hmm. that she's not this perfect like nice girl. like even though she's definitely like a girl that, you know, nerd girls who were bullied and shit are supposed to identify with, she does there is a lot of like, that sort of wish fulfillment like especially with the marietta thing because Marietta's totally like projected as like a regina george like popular girl and and haven't we all wanted to at some point anybody who you know was bullied in high school has had that feeling and i think the fact that we get to see hermione get sort of not revenge but like Give someone their comeuppance multiple somebody, times. Somebody
2: crossed her, and it's justified. Yeah, and so you really don't ask too many questions. But she's not nev- <laughs> she's not
1: the bigger person
2: in very no often, in and no I way. I
1: appreciate that about her. <sighs> yeah, because I think in the movies, especially, we get like Hermione as this like just perfect little
2: UN ambassador Hermione Granger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, perfect little witch who can't do any wrong, basically, yeah. and. And that is frustrating because it makes her, you know, less real. Anyway, go on. All right.
2: Chapter 28, Snape's worst memory. Harry violates some real boundaries. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) Chapter 29, which is called Career Advice. And I say, just be a cop, Harry. (laughs) Uh, Chapter 30 is Grop, which I write as really boring follow-up to Sweet Weasley Action. (laughs) <laughs> chapter 31 owls which I entitle everyone wants to see Harry's Patronus which is true throughout the book it's true but becomes a weird theme when like a man who cannot be less than 80 years old just whispers to him during his school examinations can I see your Patronus <laughs> is it fully formed and corporeal I'm I'm paraphrasing but that's <laughs> mostly it just corporeal. barely is it corporeal <laughs> which up to a point, you know the corporeal patronus. This is where like the the gradations and distinctions of charms and other magic within the universe really start coming through. So it is fascinating to see the idea of you being able to perform magic, but it's not a binary system. That you can be that there are variations of it. You and can so be better
1: at something. You can and... be
2: better at charms or a charm. Yeah. You can be better at transfiguration or worse. And it's it's not uh, Wingardium Leviosa. It either goes up or it doesn't. There's that variation of it is really interesting to see and is a nice bit of expansion of the world. Um, Chapter 32 is out of the fire where I say, can't fool old headmaster Dolores. (laughs) Um, Chapter 33 is fight and flight where I say, Harry's horse affinity comes through in the clutch. (laughs) Chapter 34, the department of mysteries, sick wizard heist. Chapter 35, Beyond the Veil, Sick Wizard Fight. <laughs> chapter 36, The Only One He Ever Feared, which is Sick Wizard Duel. <laughs>
3: um,
2: chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, which I call Harry the Highlander. There can then only
1: be one. There
2: can only be one. Oh
0: my God, he is a Highlander. He's
2: very much a Highlander. Um, and then chapter 38, The Second War Begins, which I just say, all's well that ends well. Sure. which mostly true when you think about the book so that is Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix a tome a testament to its era a testament to the series it sets up two fan favorite books I think a lot of people are huge fans of the book after this and the one after that Um, yeah but this one is a personal favorite of mine I think my wife brought it up a little bit on uh, Chamber of Secrets. But when we first started dating, um, I was this coiled spring in terms of how much I had thought about Harry Potter, how <laughs> much I had considered it. And so when I met somebody who had thought about it as deeply as I had, um, I think she said it, but she was like, is this guy going to like kiss me at any point or whatever? <laughs> and because I was just so excited to talk to somebody about this that I, I had to have talked to her ear off for hours and hours and hours about all these thoughts that had been in my head and ways that I had considered this.
0: Now, I want to I just quickly just go right into it and pull out one of these pins we put in something, and that is the idea of, of money in the wizarding world.
2: To center on the concept of the wizard economy, because this is something that's really eluded me since I started thinking deeply about it, the first thing that ever threw me when I pulled a, pulled the a thread a little too much was, why are the Weasleys poor?
1: This and a that's good a question. That's a
2: question I ask you both, is why are the Weasleys poor, and how, more importantly, are the Weasleys poor?
1: I feel like they must be poor because they plot – it's plot relevant. <laughs> J.K. Rowling needs them to be poor, but they shouldn't be because, I mean, unless, like, various jobs in – I mean, they don't have any family money, it sounds like, which seems like to be what a lot of the wizarding economy is based around, is, like, inheritance, basically. But then there's no credit.
2: There's no credit. Gringotts, importantly, does not issue loans, which would suggest that there's no money multiplier effect within the wizarding world, which would suggest that the traditional scaffolding of our concepts of economic growth don't really exist because the idea of a bank lending money at interest and then collecting the difference of the growth in the interest is it doesn't exist in the wizarding world. And then there's all this money that sits in a vault. Harry's money doesn't go to work until he even realizes he has it. If Dudley had like pushed him off a slide or something, that would presumably just sit there in perpetuity. It wouldn't necessarily be redistributed back to other wizards as far as we know. Um, and the Weasley and the Weasleys at the end of the day are poor, which is clearly a plot device, right, to separate them from the Malfoys and to make Ron the noble but poor kid who is rich in heart. And Mrs. Weasley makes sweaters because she doesn't have a ton of galleons, and that's great.
1: So the Weasleys own their house. It's
2: I like don't. They, I don't even know that they don't have. I don't even know they they that owning a real, I don't even know that owning real estate means anything there. Right? Like, but they
1: don't have, like, what are their expenses? What are the Weezys? Because, like, Arthur has a job. Sure. Which he presumably gets paid for.
2: Sure. I think it's. And not... other than,
1: like, food and books and stuff, for. Like, there's no tuition to Hogwarts.
2: Not that we know of. And there's no. And importantly, you say that they pay for food, but it's not clear that they pay for any food that they actually create it in own home. It does kind of seem like
1: they, have, they live on, like, a farm.
2: Because you
1: can't just conjure food.
2: But you can you can multiply it you can transform it
1: can you multiply it
2: gamp's law of magical transfiguration doesn't say that you can't multiply food it only means that if you you have to start with something you have to start with an element that's sort of like elemental beginning point I thought but you from there
3: multiply it.
2: now hermione goes on a whole rant about it later on
3: <laughs> and it's
2: it's interesting there's this idea of what magic can't create but it's very limited It's introduced a little bit in the first book with the Philosopher's Stone because that can create real gold and book four indicates that you can create fake gold but it doesn't stay real gold forever and you can't fool somebody forever with it. But the question is what are these folks even doing with money and why do they even have a system like this? It seems like they only spend it on the fruits of certain wizarding intellectual labor. So there's theoretically intellectual property like the right to a school book that people buy And there's some other sort of, like, fringe stuff that is these, like, weird Vebling goods. These not essential essentials, like, dress robes. And that's it. But then you have, like, the... And candy. And candy. And candy, which is more expensive than the news. (laughs) Actually.
1: You have, like, the twins in this book and the next book who, like, start a business. Mm Mm-hmm. And what, Harry gives him like a thousand galleons? Thousand
2: galleon loan. Only loan we ever see made in the series.
0: And it is informal. It's, it's in no way, like, there's no contract. He's not expecting
1: to get it back.
0: It's not an investment. Even if he expects to get the money back as a loan, he
2: doesn't, the idea of usury doesn't exist in the world. <laughs> um, the idea that he would get any sort of interest on it doesn't exist.
1: This is really, like boggling my
3: mind
2: it was blowing my mind for years and then i met tara and then i won't shut up about it and she'll still tell me sometimes to shut up about it because it's and i've asked people like i've asked people some people with whom i work to try to there's a concept in in
1: i feel like you should write a paper economic about study. this
2: so there's interestingly a study that came out of the washington university uh department that they have for fiction studies um, they study fictional economies and fictional concepts. And the theory is that the wizarding economy has been in a state of depression for years and years and years. That Hogwarts, as originally built, was built for a wizarding population of, that could fill a school of 1,000 kids. And that population hasn't grown theoretically in terms of like actually producing the wizards since then. Hogwarts, the building, Hogwarts, the educational institution, hasn't grown in a thousand years, even as the UK population has grown by orders of magnitude. So they haven't experienced real economic growth of any sort. And they've just like been l- a lot right And now. they've been living with this long malaise that leaves them open to political fracturing, to, you know, any and all sorts of hoodwinking they're they're not a particularly well-informed society. They they have all of these like weird vendettas and they're they're almost a parody of British conservatism in a lot of ways. They they're very parochial in a lot of interesting ways.
0: Everything they read in the Daily Prophet they take as 100% true even though it seems like it would be pretty clear by now that Rita Skeeter is not on the up and up.
2: They have two media outlets. <laughs> And one is the Daily Prophet, which this book treats like Fox News for the entirety of the book, and then you have the Quibbler, which is like patently false, but also at least entertaining, and that's more or less it. And that, and, but that makes sense in a world where how, where there are four wizarding journalists, where <laughs> where, where the amount ima- where you literally your career education is you're, you're going to do something because we don't have enough people to do much of any of this. Right. There's, as far as I know, like three nurses to staff the hospital <laughs> during Christmas, which is fascinating.
1: I mean, yeah, that's the other thing that always threw me is like, because J.K. Rowling has said that the Hog- Hogwarts is about a thousand students, but there's five boys in Harry's year. And only three girls that we know of in... And let's say there's there's 10 people in every year in every house. That's 40 people total in every year. Times seven.
2: 280.
1: 280. That's huh. like way short of 1,000. It's, it's
2: way short. Now, the, the the short answer is to that could be that Harry's popular. And there are a bunch of nobody Gryffindors <laughs> that he doesn't have time for. Yeah. And that wouldn't be all that surprising, right?
1: No. I mean, that's how you get to this book and... And I think especially the ne- this book and the next book, because with the DA in this book and the next book, we just, like, meet random people who, like, have supposedly existed this entire time. Luna but,
2: Lovegood's been yeah. bonkers I mean, like, and fun forever.
1: Yeah, and in the sixth book, we get uh, Cormac McLagan, who is in Gryffindor, but they don't know him?
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. And
1: he's, like, relatively around their age, so it's, like, there's this idea that maybe there's another Gryffindor boys dormitory that we like don't know about but also like maybe he's in a different year maybe like you know it's just like that we we assume that all the the grades are roughly like 40 people but then jk rowling tells us there's supposed to be a thousand students here yeah. so where are they all
2: it, the, the numbers will never come out in the wash i don't think <laughs> because we're, we're holding her to this standard that doesn't um it doesn't and won't make sense But the act of trying to make it make sense, I think, is what's interesting because that synthesis of all the different things that don't add up, I think that sort of speaks volumes to what she is either trying to do or accidentally does as an author.
0: I think, David, to your point, what we're sort of running into here is we're trying to apply any sort of like consistent real world logic onto a sort of, what is it What is at heart, a fantastical children's fiction series? but it's hard not to as we've discussed before in this series that because she is so good at creating this world and making you want to know more about it and she does throughout the course of the series open up more and more and more stuff about the world and especially this one where you see like the inner workings of the magic government kind of but like so it invites you to like to look like deeper into these things and they're very functional within the books themselves but then you, then you, because of the way, you, how engaged you are with it, you then try to look further than there is anything there. And you sort of end up, like, peering behind the sort of flat cardboard cutout. You go behind the veil, as it were. <laughs> in a sense, you go behind the veil. And much like uh, Sirius, once you go through you don't come back out.
1: Yeah, I also have some issues with that. Whole
0: they have, thing. <laughs> in the Department of Mysteries, what is,
3: as
1: door. written, the
2: gate to the afterlife. <laughs> Or an afterlife. (laughs) Right? It's not specified which one it is. Because
1: I never really understood in this book if Sirius dies because he gets hit with a curse, or if he dies because he goes through the arch.
2: Strongly choose to believe that it's because he goes through the arch.
1: Which is just like, what if, like, Harry had just walked through there before? Because he was about to.
0: So... He would have (laughs) either died or possibly gone to hell? (laughs) This is like,
2: it's this embodiment of Thanatos, like the human death drive, that... He's hearing the the whispers behind the veil, and he's like, "I have to. I'm a I'm a, a moody teen. I spent this whole I mean, book. Harry is
1: like peak goth. In this. Harry, okay.
2: <laughs> and this is like this should this should be the thing that leads us into why this is the best Harry book, oh, which man. is, and it is the best Harry book. But Harry spends this whole book going, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. I'm dealing with all this shit, and then." There's literally a door to death in front of me, and it's whispering to me that I need to go through and just be with my family and I can all this all this stuff that I'm dealing with, and I just got like fucked up at the Department of Mysteries by all these adult wizards. Um, and it can all be over, and I can just walk through the, walk through and go behind the veil, and that's it.
0: It really is like a large scale only slightly darker version of the mirror from the first book, yeah it calls out it literally calls out to him and he is like very immediately transfixed on it
2: yeah and he wonders is the, are those actually his parents voices behind the door are they and, not
0: and then as far as i know we never really get resolution on that it's
2: called the department of mysteries not the department of answers
1: it's true <laughs>
2: there's also a bunch of brains and a fish
0: tank yeah
1: I'd like the, the implied idea is that like every room explores like a different high concept thing, like death and time and. And what if we put a bunch thought. of brains
0: into a fish tank? <laughs> what yeah, would that, that be <laughs> like? That too.
1: And you know, prophecy or whatever, um, which I think is a really interesting concept. But I, I would love to see it explored more. <laughs> yeah.
2: which is which is love. that's that's the books, right? Yeah. Is, there the book never gives you everything you want. This book, or any like the entire series, they never give you everything. They never take you to the end of the line of anything. And as a result, you can always you can always go further, be it with fan fiction or with your own internal teasing out of logic.
1: I mean, that's also in some way become the series downfall too. Because I mean, not the downfall, but I'm gonna say the franchise's downfall, not the series, because the series is good. Mm-hmm. Um, the franchise's downfall is that like there's so much room to build on it. There's so many holes and, and whispers and, and directions you can go in this world that there's maybe too many places that people are taking things.
0: Point of comparison between uh, this series and uh, you know, a, a favorite topic of mine, the Fantastic Beasts series. <laughs> um, can you, like, when you read the Harry Potter series, the the seven books, you, you, you're left wanting more, you're always curious, you know, you're never going to get that thing you really you're like you're never gonna get the full answers and it's like it's like the way like you know when a song uh, gets stuck in your head it happens because you don't know all the words and so in the same way you never know like all the quote-unquote lyrics to, to this series the story this world basically so you're always going to be like running things over in your head trying to put it together and so in that way the books will live forever inside your mind <laughs> uh when you watch fantastic beasts and where to find them you have the exact opposite reaction where you learn things you didn't, you don't want to know, and you wish you could unknow them. And in fact, they remove magic from the world by showing you, you know, really just kind of how small it is in a sense, and how if you go back about 100 years, you see some stuff that does not entrance you, and in fact makes you a little bit sad and kind of confused.
2: B-sides that should have stayed on the cutting room floor that you really didn't need to take out of the vault, or just like, audio of somebody yelling in the recording studio and doing some horrible stuff that they just got on tape that you don't actually need to listen to and probably shouldn't. It feels almost like you're intruding on something that you, you, with Fantastic Beasts, I think that's what's so fascinating about it is that at its core, it's, it's almost like you're, you're walking into a room where somebody is like getting changed. You're, you're seeing, (laughs) you're seeing the Harry Potter series in a way that you're like, no, you're not fully dressed yet. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta leave. Eddie Redmayne, you're not you're not fully clothed.
1: I mean, my theory on this is that it's because it's not removed enough from the main story. Mm-hmm. Is that because they want us to go, right? They mm-hmm. keep bringing in characters that like they think we want to know more about. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, Dumbledore is not really a character that I want to know more about.
2: <laughs> I mean, the whole point of this book is that Dumbledore is a man of secrets and he will remain a man of secrets throughout yeah. the entire series.
1: I mean, kind of.
2: He he keeps so many secrets. <laughs> he does, Harry. but like I feel
1: like we get a big reveal on him in seven. So
2: we get reveals on him throughout the series, but yeah. at no point.
1: But he's like 150. He has lots of secrets still.
2: He's
0: got a lot of secrets. I do enjoy that after uh, five straight books of being like the man of mystery, the mysterious whimsical fellow wizard in the tower who you never see. Uh, at the end of book five, he goes, "Harry, perhaps I've been too inscrutable." <laughs> <laughs> and that truly has been my downfall. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is a. So I'll just sort of put a button on this for now because mm-hmm. it's like I've gone on about this for hours. The sort of the the Fantastic Beast series and also the Cursed Child play. Yeah. Both the sort of real problem there is that you you you're in a universe where you can, there's so many things you want to know and so many directions you want to go in. And we keep seeing the wrong direction played out in these in these new installments. Yeah. Also, the fact that uh, J.K. Rowling insists on pretending that everything that's in the Fantastic Beasts is stuff she had planned out, you know, twenty years ago—that she's clearly making up on the fly. Don't lie to us, Joe. Don't I mean, lie to
2: us. This is the thing about Book Five: is that Book Five is really where you start seeing that, man. Maybe she didn't have this all planned out at the start, and maybe, just maybe, she's figuring this out as she goes along. I think if you're reading the books, like, the first three books are perfectly structured. You know, they, they're all tight. Even, even if they're unequal in terms of how good they are across the books, it's fine. And then book four, you go, okay, there, there are some issues in retrospect as an adult. But when you're reading that as a kid, you're like, holy shit. What's, <laughs> what's happening and what's going to happen next? And yeah, of course Voldemort is back, but I didn't know that until this <laughs> thing thing started. And then book five and it's like, oh man. Oh man, she's just she's just another another adult who doesn't have it all figured out.
1: Well I think there's like there is kind of this, you know, Voldemort's back, right? But she has to get through two more books before mm. we can resolve the fact that Voldemort's back. Yeah. So we have to figure out how to delay Voldemort being back back. Study
0: for your OWLs, kids. <laughs> They're very important. I mean, they won't be if if you know wizard Hitler wipes out society, but do it anyway just in case. It's not clear if
2: Voldemort would care about your OWLs either, though, right? Because his his magical vision of the future, it's not necessarily one in which wizards don't like still need to do stuff his his is one that i mean you know we get we get glimpses of it later on but they still need to study at hogwarts even his vision of hogwarts mm.
1: what do they study?
2: the cruciatus curse
0: <laughs> and nothing else
2: amicus caro baby yeah i mean when he's not writing when he's not writing about uh the history of new york he's teaching <laughs> people the cruciatus curse <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I think a small example of what you're talking about, David, is that this is the first. This is the first book where we really, um, J.K. really is starting to realize she needs to somehow justify the fact that Harry has to live with the Dursleys for the first eleven years of his life and then go back there every summer. Yeah, like until now, it's been like a sort of just a you know just a yeah you know, part of the structure of the books. But now she's really beginning to realize, oh, this is this needs to be somehow explained and justified.
1: Yeah, because like there's no reason. Like, he would he would just move in with the Weasleys. Like, if, if there was no yeah. reason for it, Like, there was no... no. Especially
2: now that Dudley's a boxer and can really <laughs> wail well on
0: him. What's his name as a
1: boxer?
2: Big D. Big D. Big, Big
0: D. D. Oof. It
1: was never discussed. Never,
0: never comes up again. We never find out his ranking. Like, where is he placed nationally? Yeah. I mean, we can
2: assume his weight class based on the problematic nature of J.K. Rowling, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> I think what's fascinating about the Dursley situation in this book, and more generally about the whole Harry Potter character, is this is the first time that he goes back to the Dursleys, and you can see him feeling the effects of his year at Hogwarts, and specifically the effects surrounding the end of the year at Hogwarts, because there's no like, oh, you won the House Cup on top of all this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, and...
1: A kid died.
2: Somebody died. (laughs) And by the way, you go back to the Dursleys, and you're back at the Dursleys literally the day that you get off the Hogwarts Express, right? Mm-hmm. There's no liminal period where he stays at the Leaky Cauldron for, like, a week to get his sea legs before he goes <laughs> right. back to the Dursleys. There should be. <laughs> there, sh- there should be. And there is in that in that sort of great, you know, like, he spends two weeks at the Leaky Cauldron and... Does his Wizards of La- Waverly Place thing there, but it's, <laughs> but in the in this book he
1: would watch that show.
2: <laughs> he spent. I would too. The Wizarding World of Waverly Place. Just
1: like Wizards of Waverly Place, but like in Diagon Alley.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's just Daniel Radcliffe doing his like uh, his uh, leaving Las Vegas, but in a in the <laughs> Leaky <Belenian> Cauldron <laughs> as an adult. Uh. Just
0: just. Drinking himself to death on butterbeer. Bad bad, bad (laughs) lieutenant port of Call Diagon Alley.
2: (laughs) But at this point, he he gets fucked up in a maze by all sorts of creatures and animals and eventually dark wizards.
0: Gravity reverses itself.
2: (laughs) Yes. And then it just goes back. Then he takes a portkey back with the body of his dead not quite friend
1: clutch onto the body of another student (laughs) his dead
2: enemy but also grudging respect kind of friend by the end and voldemort's back and he's definitely trying to kill him and he doesn't know what he's going to get up to and what this book does is goes well yeah of course now that he's separated from the wizarding world yeah he would spend his whole day just like literally lying in a in the bushes outside his house with his wand clutched to his chest Listening for anything on the news that would inform him one way or the other about what this guy is up to, which is like the first real reaction we see of him to what is essentially four, four years of trauma. And then he spends the rest of the books, of this book at least, sort of like in his own head. He can't, he doesn't know which way he's supposed to go. With, with all of this information, nobody believes him, or a few people believe him. I think what's really fascinating is the people who believe him and don't believe him within Gryffindor, mm. which is an interesting thing they kind of explore and then sort of walk back.
1: Let's see, it's like...
2: Seamus runs his mouth off.
1: Yeah, but Dean get, believes get... him, and Neville believes him.
2: Yeah, but the way they believe him is interesting, too, because they're just like, if my nan says... Or if if oh, Dumbledore no. says, yeah. and it's like they don't, be- but they don't believe him. Him. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and that's a very teen thing. They trust like, the
1: people who validate his his belief, but yeah, you know.
2: that's a very teen problem, right? It's like you agree with yeah. me, but you don't agree with me in the way that I want you to agree with me, <laughs> and you don't understand, and none of you get it, and I'm gonna form an army to teach you all what it means to be on my level, <laughs> 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 and teach you all jinxes and everything. Mm-hmm.
0: Harry, this is a great Harry book because, A, he's super pissed off the whole time. It's great. He's mad about everything. He's yeah, yeah He's clearly, like, actually, like, for the first time processing what's happened to him, uh, which which includes, which includes, B, the fact that, like, he and people around him are constantly referencing the first four books in a way they haven't to this point. Like, at multiple times, like, at one point, Harry's, like, mad at Ron and Hermione. He's like, you know what? I He's like, you know what? Fuck, I thought Voldemort fucking... Three and a half ish, four times and survived. Are you kidding me? I'm Harry Potter. Don't step to me. You don't know what it's like up in here, man. Then later on, like Hermione, like gives him, like, and Ron gives him, like, the reverse, like, pep talk version of that. Like, Harry, you should lead an army. You fought Voldemort three and a half, four times. You're Harry Potter. And everyone's finally like, oh, yeah, this kid's, like, gone through some crazy shit. And he's mad about it. He's upset. And reasonably so. Like, I think Harry's reactions here are all pretty, like, pretty, like, understandable.
1: And I think what's interesting is up until this book, all the crazy shit that he's gone through is literally witnessed by no one but him. <laughs> right, yeah. And so, like, people have no reason to believe it's him, true. technically. Like, there's no, you know, he. they just have to take his word for and it. And if you
2: think about, like, the outcomes of all that stuff, it all remains very well hidden to the point of, like, he doesn't go to school on Buckbeak now, <laughs> so nobody gets to, nobody sees this and goes, yeah, but I guess he did it, right? There's no, he doesn't like walk around with proof aside from the literal scar, but that's from when he's a kid, yeah. And so it definitely that counter narrative of him being this fabulist really does make sense. The more you, the more you yeah, pull up that thread. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. the only person they have. Like, I mean, Ron and Hermione witnessed certain degrees of things. But, like, the end result, like, in the first book, like, they're both gone. In the second book, Ron is gone.
0: First two books, the final fight happens, like, deep beneath the school in yeah. both cases. Yeah. Like, far from anyone's view.
1: And, you know, and all the other students there just, like, witness Dumbledore giving Gryffindor a bunch of points. <laughs> yeah. Like, I wouldn't believe him.
2: <laughs> frankly, Frankly, Dumbled- I'd be a little bit mad if yeah. I was, like... Every year, I try to win the House Cup, and then this, the old, this old wizard, who is Harry's best friend for two days a year, decides that he's just going to award them literally the s- amount of points necessary to beat me by one every single time. Also, the
1: point system in Hogwarts is totally fucked up. All right, up. it just doesn't make any
2: sense, and that that one's not even one that I'm willing to entertain as far as no. going down that road. That's an area where I just went like, nope, I'm not touching it.
0: Um yeah I I love Harry in this book but if I was a student of Hogwarts I would hate Harry Potter he'd be the worst guy ever well he's telling you all these things that like, even if he's right you definitely don't
2: want him to be right Right. and that's something that I don't know that they they truly they they go after it a little bit but Cornelius Fudge and Percy Weasley and the sort of you know righteous naysayers of Harry who say that everything is fine everything's fine insert comic of the dog in the house burning down around him and he's drinking (laughs) coffee um They're, they, like, why would they want him to be right? Even if you believe him, that should be horrifying to you. And so it's completely reasonable for people to go, yeah, he's making stuff up. And not only do I want him to be making stuff up, but I have no evidence of it. Besides the word of a a kid who, best case scenario, was still, like, fucked up in a maze by stunning spells. 100% (laughs) that happened. He doesn't even contest it.
1: Yeah, so I think, like, the the ending of this book, where everything is very public, is, like, really important, because it needs to happen, because yeah. we, need, we need yet another transition into, like, Voldemort's back, how do we live now, basically. Yeah. Um,
2: and what a great way to do it, by the way, with the Ministry of Magic, which we never go to the ministry until the beginning of this book, and it is truly a magical ministry. <laughs> the different elevators, all the different ways people are coming in. They do this really interesting thing of taking this sort of like idea of a place where people commute and it's very workaday, but on the other hand it's underground, but they don't want to look out of out of windows that are not uh that are just like at stone walls God, so I wish they have those fake weather. So they have fake weather, but it's created by a union so they need to appease the union <laughs> or else they'll <laughs> give them hurricanes for 3 months. And then but the and then so you have this like magical depiction of of the Ministry of Magic. And then it all just dovetails so perfectly with this hyperkinetic heist-turned-fight-turned-duel where they're just, I think, the most interesting magical fighting that exists in the mm-hmm. books thus far. You get a little bit of it in Goblet of Fire, but then in this one it gets really like, it's like an Alfonso Cuaron movie, but not the one that he directed. Yeah. It's like it's like Children of Men in that you want a long tracking shot of them like going through the Department of Mysteries not knowing where they're
0: going to get hit from.
1: I think this movie is the best adaptation of the book.
0: Yeah, agree. Yeah. But I think that's probably true partially because the, uh, the climax is for the first time, not about like one cool thing. And then like a hundred pages of explanation, you do get that sort of Dumbledore debriefing at the very end, but mostly it's just, it's action. It's characters mm-hmm. doing stuff and like character beats and discoveries and reveals and twists and turns and just like an actual like climax. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sort of a first for these books. Mm -hmm. And I remember like seeing the movie and thinking, boy, like, boy, they must have really like cut out a bunch from this climax. It's so like wordless and like, as you said, kinetic and action centered. But no, it's just basically they filmed it straight up how it is in the book. I don't remember the brains from the movie. I might just be forgetting that. They weren't in the movie. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit. <laughs> Critical. No, the only
1: the only room we see in the the only two rooms we see in the Part of Mysteries are the, the death room. <laughs> the,
2: the big the, giant The room movement. with the gates of death. And the right, and right. the Hall of Prophecy. And the Hall and the Hall yeah. of Prophecy. The yeah. big orb room. The big orb room. Yeah. So time turners exist in the movie universe still, which means that you can still do back to the future.
0: I I have sort of one I think we're sort of we need to draw towards the end here. I have sort of one final in that realm of like allegory and political discussion, I have one sort of thought that I'd like for us to Sort of, you know, i just like to throw out there, see if anyone mm. has any thoughts about it. And that is uh, the sort of continued, like, people continue to go to this book for political allegory in the modern day, um, sometimes in a way that is a bit frustrating, sort of, you know, seems a little overly simplistic. Uh, and I think, I, I think a good example of why that is is the fact that, like, so this book came out in 2003, which obviously was, as you mentioned, we were bombing Iraq. Yeah. And U2 was tearing up the charts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think because if you, if you, and obviously J.K. wasn't writing about this in particular. I, I mean, it'd be hard for it too for a lot of reasons. But I think the the closest like like contemporary like allegory you could put to this book would be that like Dumbledore is uh Dumbledore and Harry and the whole Order of the Phoenix, this whole crew of people who were, you know, trying to convince. This ineffectual government—that there's a threat out there, that we need to deal with them—and the government just says, "No, there's nothing out there. What are you talking about? There's no threat. We don't—we don't need to go to war. We don't need to go to you know, fight this sort of far-off threat." The closest thing you can map that to is—is is, is like the Order of the Phoenix is the Republican Party, specifically the Bush administration in two thousand three. Attempting to convince America to go to war against Iraq, (laughs) and uh, uh, you know, Cornelius Fudge in the Ministry is just you know everyone pushing back against that, saying, "No, we're not going to war in Iraq. There's no reason to." And at the end, you find out, oh no, it was all they were right all along. There was a bad guy, and we do need to go after them. So suck it up. We're going to war. We'll put a boot in your ass. It's the it's the American way. Yes,
2: Cornelius Hans Blix Fudge is <laughs> is this ineffectual. I think that more generally, it really does map to that era, right? Because the idea of Harry just being pissed all the time is like Stained. Obviously, was not out at the time that the <laughs> books are supposed to take place in. But the idea of Harry just like sitting around in the in the Gryffindor common room listening to Stained because people won't agree with him because we just need to go and fight this guy. And then, of course, he's right. He's proven right. Is very much a message for the for the time that the books came out. And then, unfortunately, of course.
1: I mean, that's not what she's going for, but.
2: Oh no! But my my point she's is. She's definitely
1: that, going for like a Winston Churchill. Sure, Chamberlain. Sure. Sure. Yeah, but today. that
2: but that was also yeah. brought up during the run up to the Iraq War is the idea of not being the Neville Chamberlain's appeasing.
3: Interesting.
1: Saddam
2: mm-hmm.
0: Hussein. I, my, my point being that you can apply I was 13, I wasn't watching the name. anything. <laughs> To this book series, because it's a book about magic and wizards, and there's no real like central allegory to it, really, yeah. which have sort of has been a problem for me with some of the uh you know other socio political implications of the series uh, but I think that's that's really like and that, that's not a perfect fit, obviously, but nothing's a perfect fit no, so i don't think this is a good thing to go to for your political alleg- allegory is I my mean, view you on can it.
2: find whatever you want
0: in yeah Harry and i
1: don't I don't think that like I don't begrudge people who, like, find hope in this, you know? Like, I think there's something to be said for the idea of fighting for... I think the ideas that... I think it's okay for people to see ideas in things that, like, are not necessarily the ones that were, you know, the grounding ideas that she set out to put. I mean, that said, I don't want, you know, I don't see... I don't see the people with the opposite ideas using them necessarily. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah <laughs> the, the
2: jaded cynics view of Harry Potter still doesn't account for the fact that the books put forward some pretty good general ideas about inclusion, friendship, the idea of, you know, some, some good virtue ethics. Yeah. If we're, if right. we're going to get all, you know, <laughs> Sac- aer- Aristotle about it.
0: Um, you know, hard work, determination, mm-hmm. courage. Being
2: a cop once you turn
0: eighteen. <laughs> you turn, being a cop immediately upon graduating high school. Uh,
2: but yeah, those those are good. More, like there there are there are good, many good things that people draw out of Harry Potter. But unfortunately, I think, and this is this is something that you see with a book that's almost nine hundred pages long, is you can tease out any political meaning and you can apply it in any era. Oh yeah, like and I don't unfortunately, think- the the real concern then is people will be doing that.
1: Exactly. If we
2: think we've gotten enough of people making political al- allegory about Harry Potter, just wait until 2030 when somebody is still doing it. Because if you're tired of it now, just wait until somebody is comparing like Malia Obama to Harry and uh, Jenny's kids at, at Hogwarts. Oh God. <laughs> you You heard it and you can't unhear it.
0: I just want to say my 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 greater concern is more that people will oversimplify real world issues by trying to, you know, cram them into the world of Harry Potter in a way that is, I think, harmful overall to the um the proverbial discourse.
2: Yeah. Not to mention the books that's, really reify British conservative social hierarchy in a way that never really gets that's addressed.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: Anything else you wanted to talk about?
2: Are you guys going to ask me what which uh, house I'm in? Oh yeah oh yeah what which, which house are you in? I'm definitely a slytherin hundred percent it's a hundred percent it's it's definitely something i've i've come to sort of think about and acknowledge within myself is that um certainly the ambition portion of of slytherin is something that um gets they never really represent it well right you've got Draco who's yeah. just when he's not trying to kill people <laughs> is um <laughs> It's sort of a snotty teacher's pet, and then you have Crabbe and Goyle who are sub sublingual, <laughs> um, and Pansy Parkinson who is just essentially a female version of Draco without the killer instinct. <laughs> but they never address it. They, the closest they come to it is actually in the next book, and I think it's really interesting. Yeah. But Slytherin has has a lot of interesting characteristics that, if I'm thinking about my personality, probably map the closest to. Yeah.
0: I think the best way I've come to think of it is that you have to, if you're thinking about the way the different, um, the different, I want to say classes, the different houses are represented in these books, you have to think of this, these books as being written from a pro Gryffindor bias.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: And that the, 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 there is a sort of hypothetical, like real uh, history of you know the Second Great Wizarding War or whatever this actually is officially called. Howard
2: sends a people's history of the Second Wizarding War. Exactly.
0: <laughs> if, there is, if there is a true objective, like event that happened this is sort of the viewpoint of that event from the uh, from a very heavily pro gryffindor point of view and a very anti-slytherin point of view because hey history is written by the victors interesting but it, we'll give that time to develop into the next book sure all right uh david if there's nothing else um
2: nothing to plug except um i would suggest people go and find the the things derived from harry potter that they enjoy because again these books are truly magical and people have done some real magic with them
1: any recommendations there
2: uh (laughs) I, i i will put in a plug for wizard people dear reader yes i i was uh i was hit with that bug in college and i ended up watching that um the first time i watched it i was so sleep deprived it was at maybe four in the morning and i started watching it and i could not stop watching it and i was like lying in bed just crying laughing at five thirty in the morning That's so as, as i was you know like hearing somebody dissect the some of the some of the real central themes of harry potter in a really great comedic way um very potter musical is still, fun. still fun some of the music holds up and darren chris is now an emmy winner so you have nobody but yourself to blame
0: yeah, I can co-sign "Wizard People, Dear Reader." Kelsey I'm guessing you can co-sign. I can
1: co-sign a "Very Potter" musical. All right, there's three of them actually, but the first one's the best. The first one's the best. Oh, so that,
0: that, that's one thing I've seen. One thing you've seen. If only we had some sort of podcast. <laughs> oh gosh. Where we could force each other to watch the, these things and trade opinions on them. Dave, thank you for coming. It's for the my podcast. pleasure. Uh, special thanks, as always, to Danny About of the Weeping Willards for use of their song "Outside in the Rain." From their self-titled debut album, no, their <laughs> self-titled album, available now on Bandcamp.
1: Uh, the special thanks to Carly Sussman who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com.
0: Rate us, review us,
1: subscribe, subscribe,
0: smash that like, and tell a friend, tell a friend, and listen to Andrew Ninja Warrior. Also that. There was a um, there was a big twist in the most recent episode in the sort of the in, in the post credits. Uh, tag which i think is a uh, probably the best way this particular twist could have been delivered so if you're uh you know check that out if you've fallen behind a few episodes check it out because there's a real the status quo is really upended by this one this one moment
1: Whew, i haven't listened to it yet i think <laughs> it really really changes
0: the viewpoint of the series going forward i think you should check it out i will <laughs> and then uh, now i guess we'll say our standard uh farewell mischief, mischief managed,
3: managed. Mary.
0: Man. Noted Con oh, Man by yeah. Dungus con Fletcher. Man. He's one of the the guys in this book who sort of is on the margins who I never really got a handle on. Noted Con like.
2: Man and also the man you would trust with your life to defend Harry Potter. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or so Dumbledore or so, or says.
2: Dungus <laughs>
0: Fletcher and an old woman who can't do magic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> nothing could go wrong with that plan. You and won't. nothing did go wrong.